You've got to have those foundational assets in place. You've got to own page one of your name in the search results in order to empower that person to say, yes, this looks like a thought leader, a standout authority in their field, and I'm going to pick up the phone and give them a call. And so it's all about, one, empowering your current clients to talk about you, but two, having that first impression there when they actually go and do the research. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our business, grow our leadership, and develop our teams in a way that allows us to get our products and services out of the world, yet still remain profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner, and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Chris, let's face it, you're in a small business. We talk a lot about marketing for insurance agency owners, and we've come at it from a couple of different angles. We've talked about it from a pay-per-click advertising perspective for with Matt Jones and Direct Clicks, and we've had Martina on with Uptown Marketing and talk about it from the SEO side. I'm really excited about today's guest, Paige Velasquez Buddy from Zilker Media. We talk about so many different things in this podcast. We talk about the three different types of content to be creating. We talk about creation of an end-to-end brand management in your personal brand. We talk about social media. We talk about referrals. And we actually got into some of the specifics on social media platforms and how to utilize some of those. This was a fantastic podcast. I think our listeners are going to get a ton out of it. Chris, what's a couple of things that our listeners are going to pick up from your perspective? Five words, end-to-end brand management. It was great seeing how managing your personal brand under one company can really keep the momentum going and make sure that every aspect of your brand is actually trying to say and communicate the exact same message. She goes into very detailed descriptions as far as what you should do. I think our listeners are going to get a ton of value out of this. So without further ado, let's get started. Google makes it easy. Swipe a card, pay for marketing. Sure, you get a few more phone calls, but they have nothing to do with your business. The truth is Google can't understand the buyer's intent. Enter Matt and Maddie Jonza, the husband-wife duo adding intention to your online marketing game. As a State Farm agent himself, Matt built his business by maximizing the volume and quality of inbound calls. His success led to the creation of DirectClicks, a company helping insurance agents across the country grow their business through online campaigns. They focus on Google ads, so you don't have to spread your budget across the internet. With attention to detail and transparency, they provide monthly review calls, exclusivity, and the lowest cost per click. So before you swipe that card, contact Matt and Maddie Jonesa at directclicksinc.com. Again, that's directclicksinc.com. Paige, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. So we always like to start with a little bit of the background and origin story. So can you give a little bit about your background and then obviously just the background about Zilker Media and how all of this came about? Sure. So I had a really interesting path getting into marketing in general. That's really not what I initially set out to do. 
I grew up in a small town in West Texas called Odessa. And through my time there, I was really influenced by so many members of this tight-knit community. And really being part of that special community is really what sparked my love for building that sense of gathering with others. And so when I left Odessa to pursue an education at the University of Texas at Austin, I ended up cutting my teeth into several internships in the marketing industry. And when I first set out to go to school um, here in Austin, I realized I had it in my mind that I was going to be a lawyer, which is so funny because it's so different from what I'm doing now. And it really, to me at the time, it, it sounded like a good career path. But I had been a musician growing up, so always in a creative field and throughout school, kind of on the track that I was on, I felt like I was missing that creative element. And so I started taking just a few communications courses and just fell in love with the art of storytelling and marketing. And right out of college, I joined a book marketing agency here in Austin called Shelton Interactive, where we focused on representing more than 30 New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling authors. And during that time at Shelton Interactive, our team just really honed in on our passion for representing personal brands because you're really focused on the author and that book launch. But we saw that there was a lot more opportunity beyond just a book launch to continue to grow that personal brand. And the community that you could build around a personal brand was extremely powerful. And that agency ended up being acquired in 2016 by a publishing company. And this acquisition really just provided our team with an opportunity to represent several authors who were business leaders, healthcare professionals, and financial advisors. And so there's just a lot of opportunity there to really get specific with different industries and how do you grow personal brands in service industries and how do you grow personal brands of entrepreneurs. And so post-acquisition, our founder, Rusty Shelton, who is also the founder and CEO of Shelton Interactive, had the vision to start just a new kind of agency that provided this end-to-end brand management for people-driven brands. And so I joined the Zilker Media team in the first year alongside two of our founding team members. And I was just so excited about that vision and that mission for our agency and the opportunity to lead our team through this next chapter. And that's really where we started honing in and focusing on the power of building community around these personal brands. So I want to ask a follow-up question. When you say end-to-end brand management, end-to-end brand management. Can you just unpack that a little bit for me? Because that's not a term that I'm familiar with. Sure. So, you know, a lot of individuals have to go to maybe three different agencies or three different people that specialize in either PR or digital marketing or creative. What we have focused on doing at Zilker Media is providing all of that under one roof. So we have different team members who specialize in different areas of marketing so that you can get that more holistic experience. So that we're working together in strategy moving forward versus siphoning off different parts of the strategy. What would you say are some of the benefits of basically finding an agency that does everything Mm -hmm. all in-house as opposed to, let's say, getting like the best, for example, PR company, quote unquote, the best digital marketing company and quote unquote, the best creative agency, you know, like what would you say is the benefit of having it all in-house? 
Yeah, you have a stronger momentum of having it all under one roof because our team is working holistically on one strategy on the same page moving forward. A lot of times it can be hard to coordinate different team members. And that's not to say that we work with, we don't work with other agencies because we do often. But the power of having it all under one roof is that we're all moving towards that same strategy and vision, which is more long-term versus the short-term. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that. In an industry like the insurance agency, it's super hard to separate yourself from the crowd. How can agents do that? Yeah, most agency owners are really set on hiding behind the corporate brand that they're a part of. What sets agency owners apart is thought leadership. Are they willing to step out from their corporate brand and engage with their audience and customers on a personal level? ultimately becoming that on-ramp back to their agency. And you know, some individuals recoil at the thought of personal branding, and they're so hesitant to do it because they fear that it can be perceived as ego-driven or bragging. But the key is to approach your thought leadership with the right strategy and mindset to purely deliver value and make a bigger impact. And those that are willing to step out from behind that corporate brand, they're going to be seen as a thought leader. And those that aren't, they're going to be seen as a commodity. And there's going to be no differentiation between you and the agency owner down the street doing the same thing. Yeah, I mean, that's so true. I mean, seemingly competition is coming at a faster pace in all industries. And certainly our listeners, the insurance industry is no different. I mean, there's competitors, no matter the different companies, but then let's face it, there's other agents that represent the same companies and the same brands that you do. And those are competitors too. So you're trying Mm -hmm. to find the voice in your marketplace and everybody's wanting to grow. So what are a couple of things that for somebody that's listening could do, could realistically do listening to this podcast to say, okay, where do I even begin? Because they hear that and they say, well, I don't even know where to start in creating my own personal brand. So in today's landscape, it's all about owning your first impression online. And it's really important for you to understand first impressions are no longer happening when someone calls your office or they walk into your office. They're now happening on page one of Google. So if a customer is referred to you, even if it's a word of mouth referral, which is very common, if a company is considering hiring you, or even if a local journalist is looking for an expert to interview you, the first thing that they're going to do is Google your name. So when they Google your name, one or two things happen. One, you're either positioned as an expert in your field. So your website comes up, maybe some interviews that you've done in the past, some content that you've maybe put out on your social media channels, or you've done an interview in your local newspaper and that's coming up first. Those are all things that we want on page one of Google. And those are all things that are going to position you as an expert in your field. Now, the other option is they Google your name and your position as a commodity. And there's nothing that you've done to differentiate yourself from the other person that has an agency down the street. And so when you Google your name, there are really two levels of having a discoverable brand. So first, you type in your name into Google. And the first question you should ask is, do you own search in this category? 
So is your name very common that your name's hidden and no one's ever going to find you on Google? So for example, if your name is John Smith, you're going to have a hard time owning search results around your name. So if that is your case, to do something to differentiate yourself, you're going to have to change your name. And what I mean by that is you're going to have to add a middle initial or you're going to have to add your middle name into your branding so that you can own your name with search. Now, the second option is if you search someone who has no idea who you are, you're going to look and see, you know, do you have that foundation in place that is going to differentiate you? Are your social media channels ranking high on Google algorithm? Is your website ranking high? Any interviews in your past, are they on the first page of Google? And so, if, for example, if you own your name and search, but your search results aren't positioning you as a thought leader, then you can get into looking at, okay, what do I need to do with my content strategy on social media? What are maybe some things that I can do to really ramp up the search engine optimization of my website? And that's when you really start to get into the nuances of content strategy and the power behind that to differentiate yourself. Okay, so that's a perfect segue because I wanted to ask you about content specifically yeah. because depending on the companies and who's listening, there may be some restrictions on some of the things that the company would allow them to be able to put out. Okay, so we understand that. Now with that disclaimer out of the way, let's face it, there's content and then there's content that actually drives business back to you, okay? So what is some of the things that you've seen where people are trying to do all the right things? They're trying to check all the boxes. They're trying to put content out but you look at this and you shake your head and you're like, this is not this kind of things that is going to resonate with people in today's marketplace. I mean, if you say, hey, call us to get a quote on your auto insurance. I mean, everybody's mm-hmm. saying that as an example. Mm-hmm. But what are some of the things that you would say, hey, don't do this. This is not mm-hmm. the kind of content that's going to drive business. And then maybe just a couple of thoughts about what these are some of the things to do. Sure. The biggest mistake that we see people make, especially in this industry, is that they're just posting content about themselves. So it's more of that you-driven content. It's all about their opinions, their intellectual property. And really what we want you to do is think like a media outlet instead of a marketer. So they're trying to sell really hard online. And so I want you to almost think of yourself as the editor of your own newspaper and really focus on three types of content, whether it's social media, whether it's a blog post, whether it's an email, think of it in these three areas. So first is that you driven that I was talking about, your opinion pieces. This focuses on showcasing your expertise and ideas. Again, many people make the mistake of focusing all of their content on you driven content. If you do this, it's a very slow grind to grow your brand, but it's also a turn off to a lot of your audience. I only want you to focus about 10% of your content on this category. Now, the second category is what we call news-driven content. And there are two types of news-driven content. First is headline-driven. So this is tying your expertise or discussing a topic that's in the headlines, um, in the news. So for example, right now it's hurricane season. There might be some stuff that you might tie if you're in a specific area with clients who have been hit by the hurricane. You know, the second type of news-driven content is calendar-driven. So it's focused on time of year that your audience pays attention to. So for example, we know that right before summer in some areas, you know, boat insurance might be something that a lot of people are looking into. 
So really focusing on what is top of mind of your audience and finding a way to really speak to that as an expert. It's a very, very smart strategy, especially on social media, because you're meeting your audience where they are right now. Now, the last category to focus on is relationship-driven content. And for a lot of individuals, this is the category that they enjoy the most. The encouraging part of this content category is that the content isn't all left up to you to produce. So start an interview series, and that can be done through your blog, audio, or video, just like y'all are doing right now. The idea is that having a conversation that's valuable for your audience while building relationships with key people in your community. So for some agency owners, it might be spotlighting other small businesses in the community, really focusing in on that local angle. Ultimately, anyone's going to be flattered that you are spotlighting them, and they're going to want to share that interview with their audiences as well, which ultimately maximizes the reach that you have online. That was fantastic. Let me ask you, so you have the you-driven was 10%. What were the other mm-hmm. percentages for the other two on news-driven and relationship-driven? Yeah, I mean, I would keep those pretty even because that gives you really that good mix of content. News-driven is only gonna happen when you have either that headline that you can tie to or you know time of year that you can tie to, so that's something that's a little more nuanced. Relationship-driven, that's something that you can plan out in advance, so a lot of people rely heavily on relationship-driven. It also empowers your referrals to talk about you, and that's the thing that you don't wanna leave that up happenstance, you want to empower others to talk about you, give them a reason to. So having that peer-to-peer conversation really empowers them to do so. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue and increase your bottom line? Club Capital is here to help. Built for agents by agents, so we know your struggles. With accounting, payroll, and HR solutions, tax services, analytics, and more, Let's get you on the path to serious success. Using data-driven insights, you'll grow your business based on revenue and expense comparisons alongside your top performing peers. With over $100 million in tracked annual revenue and $70 million in tracked annual expenses, we have the data to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. Let's make your back office less of a hassle and more of the strategic generator that powers the growth to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book your complimentary, no obligation demo. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. So Paige, it's actually really another good segue into talking about referrals because referrals are a big part of any small business, but they're especially important in the insurance industry. So can you just actually go deeper into referrals specifically and maybe some things about how you all think about referrals in your business and how you work with your clients? Absolutely. And it's so important. The biggest mistake that we see agency owners make is they leave referrals up to happenstance, meaning that your customer has to be sitting by the right person at the right dinner party at the right time in order to garner that referral. There's really two areas we want to focus on. One is how do we empower our current clients where we're over-delivering constantly to talk about us? And, And the way you do that is empowering them by inviting them onto the interview series, by delivering really good content whether it's social media, email, or your blog, that they want to share. That's why that newsjacking component and that news-driven component is so important because they might know somebody 
that needs that information right now. And it gives them a good excuse for them to talk about you. The other side of it is once that referral is given, how do you make sure that that person picks up the phone and gives you a call? And it's again, circles all the way back to that first impression. You've got to have those foundational assets in place. You've got to own page one of your name in the search results in order to empower that person to say, yes, this looks like a thought leader, a standout authority in their field. And I'm going to pick up the phone and give them a call. And so it's all about one, empowering your current clients to talk about you, but two, having that first impression there when they actually go and do the research. So you've mentioned social media a couple of times. I mean, we would be remiss if we didn't actually talk about social media on the podcast. And so just in general right now with social media, what are some of the things that insurance agency owners can do. We've talked about first impressions and how important that is of owning your name on Google. We've talked about obviously driving content. I know there was a component of that with social media, but other than content that you mentioned earlier in the social media aspect of that, what are some of the other things that you see as some best practices or things to avoid with social media? Sure. In social media, it all comes down to the channels that you're using. You have to understand these are all different channels. So really look at your strategy for each channel. You can't replicate the same post across every social media channel because it's not going to perform the same way. And there's different audiences for each channel. So for example, Instagram, I believe, is a newer channel that a lot of agency owners can now use to promote their agency. And so Instagram has a much younger demographic, so that's something to really focus on. Its algorithm is also very unique. And the fact that Instagram posts, which are those main photos that go on the newsfeed, those are not getting as much traction as other features on Instagram, such as Instagram stories and Instagram reels. And it's all about looking at what is that social media channel prioritizing? And it's very simple. You don't have to be a marketer to really get this. I would just recommend, you know, getting on your Instagram app. And the first thing that you see on top of your Instagram app is Instagram stories. So that really tells you what is Instagram prioritizing? It's the stories feature. And the stories feature is that 24 hour bite-sized content. And so it doesn't have to be this huge sophisticated photo shoot that you do. It can be very much, you know, you in the community day in and day out, just giving value to your audience. What might the younger demographic be interested in that you could promote on stories? Now, it is good to keep your posting every once in a while updated frequently. I would say the best frequency for Instagram is probably about three posts per week. And that's because, again, the feed's not getting as much traction. But when you do post, one thing that's really important to Instagram's algorithm are hashtags. And that's all about categorizing the content that you're posting on Instagram into different content buckets. And so we recommend about seven to 10 hashtags per post. One of my favorite strategies is doing all of the work up front. So really researching hashtags that can tie back to your brand and they can be big hashtags with mixed in with smaller hashtags. And when you search them on Instagram, it'll actually tell you how many people are posting with this hashtag. So that's what I mean between mixing big and small. 
and just building a bank based on the type of content that you're going to post. And then every time you can just keep it in the notes in section of your phone and then pull from there the seven to 10 hashtags that you want to use per post. So every time you're posting, you're not having to do the same search over and over again. You have a bank that has been done and maybe you test someone on your team to do that for you. So specifically, I've seen where some of the influencers that have millions of followers will post hashtags in the very first comment. So they'll post it Mm -hmm. and they'll go into the first comment. So is there some understanding to why that is and some strategy behind that? Yeah. So we've done that before as well with a lot of our clients and a lot of times they're just shifting. They are testing out their algorithm shifts because it shifts so often. And so what I recommend is to also test that yourself and see if there's one post that resonates more with your audience than another. From what we understand, there's really no difference of doing it in the comments versus the post as of now. But it is something we know in the past couple of weeks, Instagram's algorithm has changed so much. So it is something to continually test as you're looking at how do hashtags perform the best. Another thing with hashtags is you can actually follow a hashtag on Instagram, which gives you really good insight into what's performing best with that hashtag, what type of content. Is it pictures of individuals? Is it pictures of cities? Is it pictures of businesses? That's something that you want to look at and see what trends are working. And one quick question while we're talking about Instagram is, why do you recommend three posts per week when there are some people like, for example, Gray Vaynerchuk who says like post as much as possible because mm-hmm. you're getting shadow banned anyway. So like do like at least one post a day, two posts a day. Don't be afraid to do it because yeah. most likely you're being shadow banned. And so you're not going to be bombarding people essentially. What would you sure. say to that? I would say the features that are most important on Instagram where you should post every day and as frequently as possible are going to be your Instagram stories and your Instagram reels because that is what the algorithm is prioritizing right now. So you could post every day on your feed, but it's still not going to get as much traction as if you were posting more frequently on stories or if you were finding a way to do reels. That is fantastic on Instagram. That's one of the best descriptions. I actually just learned a lot about that. So why don't you talk about some of maybe the other most popular platforms on social media? Yeah, LinkedIn is another really popular platform, especially in this space. And it's so valuable because your audience on LinkedIn are all professionals. And so it's a little more peer-to-peer, but also if your target audience is you know, other business owners or also in the professional world, this is a great place to grow your thought leadership. Now, I will tell you on LinkedIn, your personal profile is highly prioritized in their algorithm over your business profile. I would think of it as your business profile is more of a recruiting tool, maybe for new team members, but your personal profile is really is what's going to provide lead generation. It's really what's going to provide word of mouth referrals and empowering those moving forward. A few new things on LinkedIn that are really important. When you go through the main news feed, what's performing best on that main news feed is longer text only posts. And we've seen this over the past year really take off, especially when the pandemic hit. We saw the strategy shift a little bit more for their algorithm. And it's all about really prioritizing that value-driven content. 
and LinkedIn's really focused on highlighting thought leaders. So if you put more into that post, it's going to get more traction than a photo with a short post or a video with a short post. So really think about that, especially on your personal profile. Another feature that just came out last week, or I guess it was two weeks ago for LinkedIn, are LinkedIn stories. And it's only on your mobile device, but it is being highly prioritized by LinkedIn. If you are an earlier adopter of these features, LinkedIn's going to reward you. And so my recommendation is to start testing out LinkedIn stories. And it can be as easy as taking a screenshot of the post that you just posted on LinkedIn and uploading it to stories as well. It's meant to be very similar to Instagram and in that it's 24 hour content and then it disappears. But it's something that I've seen become really active over the past week that it's been out on LinkedIn. Another feature that's really good on LinkedIn that many people underutilize is LinkedIn articles. So this is that long form post that goes onto LinkedIn, kind of looks like a blog. And so if you do have a blog that you're already contributing to, one piece of advice is to copy that blog and paste it onto LinkedIn articles so that it gets a boost on that platform. LinkedIn wants you to publish on their platform instead of linking out to your blog because that means you're leaving their platform. So just remember that with all of your social media channels, which is why I say don't have anything automatically linked so that it posts the same thing on all the social media channels. It's really important that each social media channel lets you to natively upload content to their channel so that you stay within their ecosystem versus going from LinkedIn to YouTube or LinkedIn to your website. One quick question that comes to mind is what examples of content would you recommend posting to LinkedIn? Because when I see long-form posts in LinkedIn, they tend to be things that have to be like related to empathy. Like I, I don't know, gave money to this guy who looked homeless. Turns out he was the CEO and he gave me a job and he interviewed me and then I got the job. It's like some stories that tend to be like that, that tend to pull at your harshings in a way and like mm-hmm. help you elevate your soft skills. So just wondering what your thoughts are on that, you know, given that you're a professional in that industry. Yeah, one type of content that we've seen perform extremely well on LinkedIn is that news-driven content. Mm. So as much as you can, you know, tying in especially headline-driven news and, and writing on it as an expert in that industry. So one thing when you log into LinkedIn on desktop, on the top right-hand corner of your profile, you'll actually see news headlines. And if you click into one of those, There's a team of editors at LinkedIn that is actually curating the top posts from experts talking about that newsline and forming kind of a featured story. So you could go in and see different experts comment on that news headline. And so they're prioritizing news-driven content as extremely important content on LinkedIn's algorithm. And you can see that by looking at that news module and what headlines they're wanting experts to talk about that day. And do you know if all people get the exact same headline site? Because I know exactly what you were talking about in the top like right-hand corner, or is mm-hmm. it like, are they headlines that are specific to your industry that you get? Yeah, you typically get a mixture. So you get ones that everybody's talking about on LinkedIn, and then you get some that are specific to your industry as well. 
And that's another thing with LinkedIn is they're utilizing hashtags now. They're actually performing really well. And what I love about LinkedIn is as you type in your post, it actually recommends the best hashtags at the bottom. Use that feature because it's telling you what's going to optimize your post in that algorithm. And we typically see three to five hashtags perform the best right now on their algorithm. Well, I mean, we can't talk about social media without talking about Zucker Media, you know, Facebook. I love that, Zucker Media. <laughs> so people listening to this have a lot of opinions about Facebook. Yeah. I mean, some people love it. Some people cannot stand it, whatever. I have a love-hate relationship with Facebook personally. I've gotten more to appreciate its power from a marketing perspective mm-hmm. just in the last several months myself. But it can be a huge distraction, too. I mean, you can just end up not getting a lot of work done, quite frankly. Where does Facebook stand in all of this? And what's the newest and the latest and the greatest about Mm -hmm. Facebook that we should just be aware of? So we like to call Facebook on our team the family reunion, essentially. (laughs) So if you think about it, it's going to be all of your old peers, your teachers growing up, your second, third cousins are going to be on Facebook. I will say it's definitely more challenging on the platform side for businesses than it is for individuals. If you have a business page, which is more traditionally where you would be marketing on Facebook, a lot of it's a pay-to-play game. And that's very important with what they've done with their algorithm is they've said, okay, brands, you can build a following on here, but we're going to make you pay in order for people to actually see your posts in our algorithm. And that's their whole game. So when you get on the Facebook, don't be discouraged if you're not getting a lot of engagement, even if you've grown a following, because that's typically the pay-to-play atmosphere on Facebook. I will say that they have new features now that helps you get around that for now. And that's going to be your Facebook groups that you can now start with the page that you are an admin of. And so really think about, is there a topic that we can start a group on where it would be very beneficial and a valuable community for your audience? And how do I moderate that? And the whole point of starting a group is really to get discussion started. So anytime you're managing a group, really think about what are some prompt questions that are going to get people commenting. The the great thing about a group is once people join, they will actually get a notification every time you post. So it's extremely valuable for growing a community, but you've got to stay on top of it. You've got to have a moderator. And so it does take a lot more manpower to manage a group. So just really think of when you go into Facebook, is this something that is really going to push forward my marketing? If you are advertising at all on social media, Facebook is probably one of the best places to do so. Their advertising platform is really great. We love it. But I would say if you're approaching it from more of an organic standpoint, it's a harder climb. So don't get discouraged. It's something that's probably going to rank number one when someone Googles your name or number two or number three. So it is important to keep it updated because it's something that people are probably going to land on. So keep that in mind. It's not a follower's game. And that's the biggest thing with social media in general or people focus so much on the followers. It's one about the first impression that you're making when someone lands on that profile. But two, it's about engagement. How are you connecting with your audience and how are you connecting with your community? So we could probably end up doing this for Twitter, 
uh, TikTok, <laughs> Snapchat. I mean, we could just keep going. Is there anything that any one of those platforms in particular that you would like to make a comment about to say, hey, this is really taking off in this particular space or anything like that, just to wrap this up? Yeah, I would just really focus on the demographics of each channel, on whether it's the right one for you to be on or not. TikTok has a very young audience. So if that's your demographic, that's something that might be beneficial to you. And I will say with TikTok, you don't have to do a dance to get a lot, a lot of interaction. And that's a big mis. Actually, a lot of physicians are on TikTok. A lot of financial advisors are on TikTok, really speaking to Gen Z. So that's really interesting to see. I would say Snapchat for brands, we've completely just gone away with that strategy. TikTok, if you're trying to reach that audience, is more robust in ways that you can do so. But really looking at each demographic and making sure it doesn't make sense. And another big piece of advice on social media is don't jump all into it at once. So don't be on every channel at once if it's something that you can't manage. If you have finite time and finite resources, pick one or two channels that are most you know, geared towards your audience and get really comfortable there. Get more momentum, get a calendar set out, and that will make you more successful than trying to spread and halfway manage your social media on five different accounts. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that because... I mean, it can be a little overwhelming to say, okay, I got to be on Facebook. I've got to be on YouTube. I got to be on Twitter. I got to be in LinkedIn. And then unless you have a full-time person that is able to then create some of that content and post that and find those demographics, it can be a lot to try to manage for sure. Right, right. And you won't see true growth because you're trying so much to manage five different platforms and then ultimately people end up giving up. So really focus on maybe rolling it out in phases and say, Q1, I'm going to master LinkedIn and that's going to be my main focus. Q2, I'll start to integrate Instagram, for example. Like, let's say that I'm an agent, right? And I listen Mm -hmm. to this podcast. I realize that I would like some guidance on this. I don't know where to start. I don't know where I stand when it comes to my social media. What would be your advice to them? Yeah, the first thing is if you have any existing accounts, conduct what we call an online brand audit of those accounts. So really make sure if you have a personal LinkedIn that you haven't touched in maybe five years, that you go back and you do simple things like update your headline, simple things like update your cover image photo. And that cover image photo should not be the name of your company, but it should be you in action. So either you, if you're a speaker, you're speaking to someone on stage, or if you meet with clients on a regular, maybe it's an in-action shot of you doing that in your office. Something that promotes credibility and thought leadership is so incredibly important. Also, updating that quick CV that is on your LinkedIn, making sure that everything's up to date. Same thing for a Facebook page. If you have not touched that in a couple of years, go and make those small changes because even if you're not posting on them frequently, it still might be the first place that somebody lands and you do not want to miss that opportunity of credentialing yourself and differentiating yourself because if you miss that opportunity, they're not picking up the phone. All right, Paige, you ready for the world-famous E9 rapid-fire? I am. Last book that you read. The Coaching Habit. Really, really good book. It's by Michael Bungate Stainer, I believe. That's how you pronounce his last name. What book would you recommend the most to others? 
We actually just did a book called Attention Management by Maura Thomas. It's a really small book, but it's very much on how do you manage your attention to become extremely productive throughout your day. Is attention management uh, difficult this day and time? <laughs> <laughs> it is because you have so many screens and options. Okay. I'm looking at about six screens right now. There you go. So, yes. <laughs> What's something, Paige, that you personally have never been able to do well? Run. I have been told I cannot run, and I didn't know that was possible, but according to my athletic friends, it is very possible. Yeah, apparently there's like body types and whatnot, but it's a conversation <laughs> for a different day. <laughs> but that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. What things do you do every day that you wish could be automated? Probably cleaning. <laughs> Good for answer. That, for sure. All right. So whenever we can travel again, you're going to get to fly to Europe on a 10-hour flight. Who would you love to sit next to? Ooh, on a 10-hour flight. I would say it would probably have to be a songwriter. Maybe Willie Nelson. You know, I met him one time at the Austin airport, but I wish I would have had more time to talk with him about songwriting and just his journey because... He's still a big star, but kind of in the days that he was extremely popular, it was just such a cool time for country music. If you could eat one food for the rest of your life, which one would it be and why? It would be either brisket or mac and cheese. And I know those kind of go together, but I am a West Texas girl, so <laughs> brisket all the way. I love it. Wow. I love it. <laughs> yes. Yes. yes, yes, That's yes. a good answer. Best answer so far, by the way, for this best <laughs> answer. I would go with brisket. I think my kids would definitely answer mac and cheese. There's no doubt about it. I think that's the only thing they eat, as a matter of fact. What's your most unusual talent? That one's a hard one. I don't know. I'm trying to think. <laughs> I can make weird noise. I don't know. This is probably not a talent, but I can make like weird car noises as the car's driving to really emphasize <laughs> if we're on a turn, if we're going straight. That's a terrible talent, but... <laughs> It's probably one that annoys people more than anything. I love it. <laughs> You're like the overly descriptive like person. Yeah. <laughs> <always> going, <laughs> yes, that's me. <laughs> oh, that's funny. What's something besides this? What's something that I would never guess about you? I'm from West Texas. A lot of people don't know that. <laughs> I also grew up, my family ranched as a living, and so spent a lot of time growing up with my grandfather and going out and doing that. And so one time my friends asked me if we wanted to take a trip to Montana and go to a ranch, and they were like, hey, you would have to get, you know, in the dirt and everything. I'm like, I used to actually work growing up, which is nobody knew that. You were like, hold my beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast after all. So what is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever sure. been given? Biggest thing is have your number one focus be culture and on your people, on your team. And so as much as you can do to prioritize culture and build the culture that you want to foster throughout your team is going to be the most important thing no matter what and is going to be an indicator of your success. Paige, this has been fantastic. I have learned personally so much. I know our listeners are going to get a lot out of this. So thank you for your time today. Hey, if somebody wants to get in touch with you and your team at Zilker Media, what's the best way for them to be able to do that? Absolutely. You can 
email us. You can email myself at page at zilkermedia.com or you can go to our website. We actually have a personal brand quiz. And so that is zilkermedia.com. And you can take that quiz and really look at is your personal brand on track or off track? What are the things that you can do immediately next steps to differentiate yourself? From there, you'll receive specific results on how to do that moving forward. Awesome. Boom. Paige, thank you again. Thank you. This has been fantastic. Thank you for your Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Bradley, what a great podcast that was. I'm so happy that we had Paige here. She was definitely a heavy hitter and incredibly knowledgeable on end-to-end brand management, which I cannot say enough. It was great seeing how thought leadership is really what's going to set you apart today and really help you bolster uh, your personal brand on the internet and make you a trustworthy person. But speaking of thought leadership, you cannot have leadership unless you have credibility, unless you have trust. And credibility today does not start when somebody starts talking to you, does not start when somebody calls your office. It actually starts, like Paige was saying, on the first page of Google. So it's important that you focus all of your efforts on being as credible as possible on the internet. What's something that you took away from this? Chris, I totally agree with that. One of the things in particular I picked up with the three different types of content, when she talks about you-driven content being 10% of the content you put out, news-driven content, and she even gave us a couple examples of that, being headline-driven, so like hurricanes or wildfires or tornadoes, something that's going on that's in the headlines, and then calendar-driven content. And she gave an example like when it's coming into summer and people are purchasing boats and boat owners insurance, and then relationship-driven content. And for insurance agency owners that are so active in their communities, being able to highlight different businesses in the community linked to them. And then those businesses are going to reciprocate. I just thought that that strategy overall made a lot of sense of you driven, news driven, relationship driven. You know, Gary Vayner talks about the importance of documenting versus creating content. And he says that because he doesn't want people to prioritize perfection over just creation of content. So that makes sense. But still having some sort of strategy behind the content you're putting out is important. So I love the fact that she actually gave us some structure behind the content creation. I thought that was great. Chris, this was a good one. I agree with you. She was a heavy hitter. If you want to get in touch with the team over at Zilker Media, we're going to put a links in the show notes. And obviously, if you're getting our email, if you do not get our email, please go to club.capital slash podcast and sign up to be able to make sure that you get noticed whenever we drop another podcast. Chris, this was a good one. Until next time, lead well. And stay classy.